Throughout much of U.S. history, gold has been, well, the gold standard when it comes to money. The idea was that gold had intrinsic value, natural value. Some people argued that God had intended gold to be money, just as he'd intended coal to be fuel. Often they would talk about um, a kind of evolutionary development in the history of money, where primitive peoples used base metals for money, copper or bronze or iron tokens, and then they evolved towards gold. This is historian Mike O'Malley. He's written about how in the first half of the 19th century, the U.S. government only issued money in the form of gold and silver coins. Private banks did issue paper money, but the idea was that you could always take that paper money to the bank and redeem it for specie, hard currency. Then, during the Civil War, the U.S. government did something radical. It began issuing paper money called greenbacks to finance the war effort. Greenbacks weren't backed up by gold or silver in a vault somewhere. Instead, their value came from the fact that the government said they had value. Michael Malley says this new approach to money horrified a lot of people because it raised a troubling question. Is value intrinsic or is value created by the government? One of the interesting things about the gold debate is that it's, as you said, it's based on the idea that gold has some sort of natural intrinsic value. It just is valuable. In that way, it's very similar to the way some people argued about racial difference, that there was a natural intrinsic racial difference. There was an intrinsic superiority to white people. There was an intrinsic inferiority to black people. And the rhetoric is often very similar in terms of a natural hierarchy, the interest in finding a natural hierarchy. Are there any really specific examples of that overlap in rhetoric that, that you can tell us about? Yeah, the most interesting, I think, to me was that when Lincoln announced or decided eventually that he would allow black men to enlist in the Union Army to become soldiers, it's roughly the same time as greenbacks enter into circulation. Right. And Lincoln's opponents particularly frequently compare greenbacks to Negro soldiers, this term they use. That you got you to explain that. No, it made no sense to me either. What does a black man in uniform have to do with a paper dollar? And I think the argument that you see, you see it in minstrel show songs, you see it in campaign songs, you see it in editorials, is that black men in uniform were being artificially endowed with a value they didn't naturally possess. By the union, no, no right. less. Right, by the union. The union was endowing them with a value or claiming they had a value they didn't actually possess. In the same way, it was calling paper money and endowing paper with a value it didn't naturally possess. Now, when I think of the, the people who are obsessed with gold, I think of a bunch of bankers in New York or New England. I don't think of uh, Confederates, per se. How much overlap was there between the folks who wanted to see essential value in their money and the folks who claimed there was some essence to race? There's a very strong affinity. The people in the North who supported greenbacks also tended to support racial equality. It's very clear that radical Republicans, people like Thaddeus Stevens or Ben Butler, strongly favored the idea that equality was a social condition. If you declare people equal, they become equal. So look, uh, we don't get credit cards till the 20th century, but are you arguing that there was a plastic moment, so to speak, yeah. from the Civil War through Reconstruction that really provided openings for quite different and innovative ways of seeing both the value of money and race? Yes, I do think that there is a tradition in American life long before the Civil Rights Movement of the 50s that gives room for constructing racial equality. 
So I think as a result, Americans are willing to reconsider citizenship in pretty radical ways. And you see that in the way, say, Thomas Nast will draw black Americans. He'll draw them with dignity, uh, standing upright with classical features or semi-classical features. Uh, he sees them as worthy citizens and also as having earned citizenship, enti being entitled to it. And that moment is powerful. It's not clear how much that represents majority sentiment or how deep it goes, but I think it's overwhelmingly there. And it persists in some aspects of the debate about money. I would imagine that Reconstruction was in many ways the heyday for bringing these arguments together. I mean, after all, you had the Fed, you had federal troops occupying the South. The greenback was still in circulation, and you had real uh, aggressive efforts on the part of the radical Republicans uh, to make African Americans whole as citizens. Yes, that's where you see really pronounced um, racialization of the money language. And I, I could give an example from a journalist, James Pike, talking about South Carolina. Um, the white race rules, he says, by virtue of its intrinsic strength, while the newly freed Negroes rule South Carolina by means of an alien and borrowed authority. It is not the rule of intrinsic strength. It is the compulsive power of federal authority in Washington. Under this rule, he says, the vote of any Negro in the state is worth as much as a South Carolina bond. So Pike is saying that the government of South Carolina, that the votes of black people are equal in value to its financial products, that is, they're worthless. They, they aren't backed by any intrinsic value or any intrinsic strength. They're pure paper pronouncements. Mike, I want to ask you a question as we move forward. The gold standard wins out. America restores a dollar linked to gold in the early 1870s. But what becomes of attitudes towards race once America has its money restored to the essential natural state of mm -hmm. things with gold backing up the dollar? I just think it's unescapable that the moment of the greenbacks, the moment of interest in greenbacks, is relatively fleeting. And the restoration of the gold standard is very closely accompanied by the restoration of white supremacy in the governments of the former Confederacy. It's, it's in fact referred to as redemption, which is the term you would use if you took a piece of paper money and got gold in return. The people who overturned the rule of Reconstruction in the South called themselves redeemers. And that's I don't think that's the redemption of Christ. That's redeeming paper money. So the return to the gold standard was very much a return to, people would say, the natural hierarchy of things. Now, we have an African-American president now, and he's not the head of the Federal Reserve, but he certainly has a lot to say about fiscal policy. What are the connections drawn today between race and money uh, and the essence of money and the essence of race. As soon as Obama's elected, there's an enormous boom in the price of gold. The price of gold shoots up. And more than that, you see right-wing talk shows, radio shows, TV programs, gold, advertisements for gold are the major uh, source of income. They're a major source of revenue. And it's clear that for a lot of people, Obama represents a kind of social inflation, I think. He's the the wrong kind of person. But Mike, what about all the talk about post-racialism? What about all the talk about endless opportunity? Doesn't that offset or balance whatever lingering essentialist notions there are out there? I think the thing that makes American society dynamic 
and interesting and energetic and productive is the oscillation between the idea that we can be whoever we want and the dream of knowing who we really are, of having stable identities. You can't resolve that tension. You can't. Um, you know, the great thing about the United States is its dynamic economy. It's an economy that enables a lot of self-transformation for a lot of people. Uh, you can overstate that, but the principle that no one need be confined by the circumstances of their birth is a central and very important principle of American life. It's a little nervous making too, though, because if there is no, if no one's confined by the circumstances right. of their birth, if anybody can be whatever they want, then there's no natural hierarchy and there's no substance to what people become. Right. So the idea that gold is the store of real value is very comforting to a lot of people. And the idea that nature has installed a hierarchy in types of persons is very comforting. Michael O'Malley is a historian at George Mason University. His book is Face Value, The Entwined Histories of Money and Race in America, 